Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 108, Data Lore. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm Ken's totally not evil, completely benevolent, entirely trustworthy twin. You could call me Yarnak, but that name is taken, so I'll go by John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we uh, take apart an episode of Star Trek, trying to suss out the messages, morals, and meanings of a given show, and figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. Uh, This week, we will be putting data lore on the operating table, maybe taking it apart, maybe putting it back together. Time will tell. Ken, I, I don't know. Is it data and lore? Huh? Or data lore? Data lore, that's one one guy? Uh, data lore is one word. Okay. in the beginning of the whole thing. I don't know if it's, right. you know, come and listen to a story about a robot named Data. Or if it's, <laughs> right. uh, or if it's it may actually be a couple of androids uh, put together um, mm-hmm. or taken apart. We'll find out, I suppose, as we go along. Uh, before we get to that, though, we should let people know, or actually you should let people know, uh, if they want to get in touch with us or something like that, um, how they can and why they should. You can join us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter, where the handle is Mission Log Pod, or you can call us at 323-522-5641. Email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including the discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And we have two additional distributors online uh, who carry our show. Got to mention them, trekmovie.com and trekfm. That's trek.fm. And remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. One thing we are not likely to use, though, is your trivia, because uh, we've got a trivia guy. And actually, he (laughs) does use your trivia sometime. When I say we won't use it, I won't, but John might. Um, um, uh, John, I feel certain that you've got some trivia for us this week. I do have some trivia, and I do enjoy getting trivia from other people because sometimes it just fleshes it out, so we get we get even more deeply into that trivia trek rabbit hole. But here we go. So for today's episode, Data Lore. Um, now, Ken, you asked me, I believe it was last week, about the various factors that influence a TV writer. You know, who, who gets attention for what character and how that all shakes out. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's worth pointing out, um, as did one of our listeners in an email conversation that I've been having, so good call on that, um, that we're far enough along into season one that the writers and actors and everyone else has actually been able to see a handful of completed aired episodes. And they're starting to get their own feedback as well as uh, viewer feedback. And we see what's working and what isn't and who the breakout characters are. So when the idea was proposed to introduce another android into a plot, at first it was assumed to be a female android in order to give Data a love interest, uh, or at least a way for him to explore that part of his programming. Now, Data was already kind of a breakout character, and it was Brent Spiner himself who suggested an evil twin role for Data's foil rather than a female love interest. Uh, So he was the inspiration for making this episode the way that it turned out. Um, Speaking of actors in breakout roles, uh, did did you uh, enjoy the return of Argyle, Ken? It was so nice to have him back. It was so great. I'm looking forward to so much from uh, from Chief Engineer Argyle. Yeah, don't get used to him. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. He wasn't that great anyway, but sure. <laughs> okay. Um, 
And we have kind of reached a milestone here a little earlier than you might think we would have reached that milestone. This is the final episode of Star Trek uh, for which we have a writing credit given to Gene Roddenberry. Now, he gets the teleplay credit along with Robert Lewin, uh, who was a first season producer. Maurice Hurley, who we mentioned before and will mention again, gets a story credit along with Lewin. But in the teleplay here, uh, this is a shared credit between Gene and Robert Lewin. Now, this episode was switched in production order with the big goodbye because the script was proving to be problematic. And in fact, they scheduled an extra day of shooting because all the effect shots and multiple angles needed to get data and lore together. Uh, Joe Scanlon took on the big goodbye instead of Rob Bowman, who took on this one. And you probably remember Rob. He was the young director whiz kid who took on where no one has gone before. Let's talk about the crystalline entity that shows up uh, in the latter half of this episode. The entity was designed by Andy Probert, um, who, of course, has a a great and long history of design work with Star Trek. Um, But it was entirely CG in creation. And this is in 1987, a rarity for TV in the day. Um, It was remarked later that they could have, quote, painted a tumbleweed white, and that would have worked, too. Um, (laughs) As not to say that they did a bad job on the CG, but it was a long, laborious, difficult process to bring that thing to life in a computer. Nowadays, of course, it wouldn't be quite as bad if you were just dreaming that up from scratch. And speaking of building that from scratch, the original CG files are long gone, and the whole thing was recreated in painstaking taking detail from scratch for the next-gen Blu-ray release. So those files that were originally created on a computer, they think that even the computers are gone that would have been able to regenerate that. So it had to be completely rebuilt from the ground up um, just by using the original shot as reference. Um, Oh, and here's a fun little thing. Uh, The props in this show... When they go into Soong's development lab, his his private chamber, and you see those blinking red neon tube devices, I love seeing those show up in sci-fi TV shows and movies. They were used in the Wrath of Khan, I believe, in the regular one space station, and they showed up in Airplane 2 when Shatner is uh, freaking out about the blinking, (laughs) blinking, nonstop blinking lights. So they make another appearance here. Isn't that the thing, actually, where Shatner is standing there saying... Well, it must do something. They spend a lot of money on it. Right. <laughs> That's exactly. Yes. Yeah. Every time I see those, I'm like, ah, yes, we needed sciency around. Right. But don't ask what that does because it has been made clear. And blinks. I am a bit disappointed that John opened with the evil twin joke. I had planned to do that throughout this episode. Now, I have nothing. So, Okay. Prologue. Captain Picard has decided to take the Enterprise off course for a few hours to visit the home world of Lieutenant Commander Data in the hopes of finding out a bit more about his origin. It's nothing to sneeze at, though that won't stop Data from trying. Data's planet is Class M. It should be able to support life. There even used to be farms there. But there's no life there. None. It turns out Data has the memories of over 400 of the planet's colonists, or ex-colonists. Not all the memories, just the big picture stuff. Also, all 400 of those colonists 
just disappeared one day. So let's go have a look around. Act 1. Did we mention everything on the planet being dead? Well, it is. Everything. Dead. Data doesn't remember what happened, which makes sense. Whatever killed everything hadn't happened yet when the colonist quickly filled his positronic head with their forget-me-nots 26 years ago, then left him laying out to eventually be picked up by Starfleet. Near Data's physical point of awakening, Geordi LaForge finds a hidden door. It leads to a whole labyrinth of tunnels and workspaces, which are also devoid of life. But they do find a few interesting things. The kids of the colony seem to have all drawn the same thing at some point, kind of like a giant snowflake from which everyone pictured is running. Also, they find the workplace of Dr. Noonien Soong, Earth's most famous roboticist. He disappeared from the Federation after failing to make a positronic brain. But the biggest find is what appears to be another android exactly like Data. Same face and everything, though some assembly is required. They'll give that a go aboard the Enterprise. Act 2. These snap-together android kids are awesome. Um, we would love to, well, if we need to, um, look, we don't want to take you apart, Data, but if we need to have a look around, can we? Data agrees, then heads to the away team's debriefing with Captain Picard. In the ready room, everyone's a little awkward in their discussion, until Picard says, look, Data is a machine, and that seems to make everyone uncomfortable when discussing the other android we found, but dig this, I am also a machine, and so are you, just a different kind. So get over it. Awkwardness thwarted, Riker moves on to the other thing they found below, the drawings of the big scary snowflake. And then, like a game of robotic ping-pong, Data is called back to the android assembly room. They need to take a look at his robot guts to see how stuff's connected so they can properly connect stuff in the other android. Data also lets Dr. Crusher know about his off-switch for some reason. She promises to keep his off-switch a secret. After a bit of poking around, they think they've got everything hooked up, though the second android is not woken up, or whatever. Picard wonders aloud which was made first. Then the second android wakes up, saying Data was made first, but he was found to be imperfect. The one still on the table was made to replace Data. You may call him Lore. Act 3. Picard and Data are discussing the revelations made by that thing. That thing that they put together. Picard keeps referring to Lore as it, which makes Data wonder whether Picard thinks Data isn't it as well. The captain apologizes. Data accepts, and they go back to talking about Lore. Yeah, physically they seem pretty much identical. Don't worry, though. Data assures the captain that his loyalty lies with the captain and Starfleet completely. On the bridge, LaForge is showing Lore how to run the Enterprise. Because, you know, why not? Riker tricks Lore into admitting that he knows more than he's letting on about things and stuff. It's Data who points out that, hello, the captain has not given his permission for Lore to be on the bridge. Well, maybe they all forgot because he was so busy buttering them up. Lore says pleasing humans is very important to him, though Data points out that there are things that are important and things that are important. Then he escorts Lore off the bridge. Lore keeps referring to Data as his brother, a habit Data picks up as well. Alone in Data's quarters, though, Lore shows a bit more of his true colors. And they're ugly. He derides their creator, Noonien Soong. He says the whole idea of going through Starfleet, the years of schooling and training, is stupid. It's a system ideal for weak humans, not strong robo-people. Look, we're awesome. And why do you want only the memories of 400 colonists anyway? Why not thousands? Tens of thousands? Heck, how about the memories and knowledge of whole civilizations? 
It's now that Lore fesses up that yes, he was built before Data. Yes, Data was meant to replace Lore. Lore was too human, according to Lore. The colonists with whom he had lived petitioned Soong to turn him off and make a less human android. Yeah, I'm going to have to tell the captain all of this, says Data. In the meantime, why not stay here and learn as much as you like about this ship and Starfleet from this computer? Seriously, anything you want to know, because why not? Act 4. Lord did do one thing that he was supposed to do. He told Captain Picard what happened to the colonists. That scary snowflake in the drawings the kids did? It's a giant crystal entity. It eats life. Strips planets of... Life. Data and Lore were unaffected because they weren't on at the time, or... something. Yar is keeping tabs on Lore for Data. He left Data's quarters, apparently to pick up the android equivalent of an antiseptic. Crusher is surprised that Data is keeping tabs on Lore, his brother. But Picard says Data's doing it on his orders. Data will go check out what Lore's been up to. Yar also asks the captain whether they can still trust Data, though Picard assures her... It's all good. Back in Data's quarters, Lore has poured celebratory champagne for the two of them. But he slipped Data a mickey. With Data unconscious, Lore slips into monologuing, offering another toast to Noonien Soong for giving Lore all of the needs and desires of a human. And a toast to the crystal entity, with which Lore can speak. He told it about the colonists, just as he's going to tell it about the Enterprise. The crystal entity will be really happy, because who doesn't like takeout? On the bridge, Worf notes the subspace transmission apparently being sent by Data. Riker figures it's nothing, still he would like Wesley to go check it out. We hear Laura telling the big scary snowflake that he'll be the one called Data when the thing gets here to eat all of the life on the Enterprise. Wesley comes in and finds what appears to be Lore on the floor. What appears to be Data says Lore came at him, so Data had to turn him off. But this thing calling itself Data has a facial tick that Lore has exhibited a time or two. The thing calling itself Data says he's been practicing that. Wesley doesn't seem convinced, but he doesn't say anything either. He'll tell the captain that Data will be right up. The thing calling itself Data then fixes the tick in his own face and adds one to the lore on the floor, which is, of course, actually Data. On the bridge, Dr. Crusher now suspects that Data and lore have switched or something. Her suspicion is based on the fact that Wesley now knows that Data has an off switch, something that he had said he wanted to keep quiet. No time to worry about that, though. Something is coming for the Enterprise. It is, of course, the big scary snowflake. Act 5. Picard wants to know whether Data can wake Lore and question him about the crystal entity. Wes pipes up at this point, suggesting that this thing, calling itself Data, not be allowed to roam freely. Picard and Riker call him down for not respecting Data's authority. Riker and Wesley will go with this thing, calling itself Data, to see what they can learn from what appears to be Lore. Now, there's no good way to put this. Riker's an idiot. Lore has no problem fooling him into believing what Riker was already thinking. This thing calling itself Data is Data, even though it's not. Riker reports as much to Picard, though Wesley says, Seriously, you guys don't think this might be Lore fooling you? Just then, the big scary snowflake starts nudging the ship's shields. The thing calling itself Data says it can communicate with the crystal entity. He tells it to back off, which it does. Now he's got a plan. Let's beam a tree out into space and shoot it, showing the crystal entity how powerful we are. Picard says, do it. He had to, since Data, for some reason, didn't understand when he said, make it so. Wesley really has to say, no, you don't. Shut up. Well, let me just say, no, shut up. I would have been listened to had I been an adult. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be in my room. 
Picard sends Dr. Crusher with him to keep an eye on her son. Picard's wise to Lore's game at this point, or he's starting to be anyway. He sends security to track Lore, though Lore overpowers Worf pretty easily. In Data's quarters, Dr. Crusher reactivates Data. He's on a mission now. Stop Lore. Lore, who is explaining to the Crystal Entity now how this thing is going to work. When he lowers the shields to beam out and blow up the tree, the Crystal Entity should eat all of the life on the ship. Lore not included, presumably. There's just one hitch. Data, Dr. Crusher, and Wesley have caught up to him. Lore proves himself incredibly and openly hostile. After a short fight, Data and Wesley beam Lore into space. Somehow the Crystal Entity gets it that it will not be snacking on the Enterprise. Wesley is reinstated to duty. The end. Behold our incredible power as we blow up this tree (laughs) (laughs) that we beamed into space so we can blow it up. It was interesting to learn, though, that they have a great big transporter. They do. Well, you got to have a great big transporter if you're going to transport a great big tree. Well, I guess so. I assume. I I don't know. Well, we haven't even seen trees on the Enterprise, so it's kind of surprising to hear that there is one big enough that it would need the great big transporter. But I assume that that's what shuttlecraft were for. Or I assume that's what going to space dock was for. I didn't know right. that we had a great big... Also, where was the tree that he was going to beam out? Now that I, I think about uh, it. I, well, see, then I thought, okay, maybe they'll <laughs> replicate a tree, and then they got to move that into the transporter. Yeah. But I can, can you make a tree so big that you can't move it into the transporter? Can that's you? a good question. I don't <laughs> oh, know. Man. Well, you can, beam, you can beam people from one place to another without them being on the transporter pad, right? Well, that's true. Yeah. yeah so I guess you could just, you know, yeah. you could beam a tree. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. A, a tree can. A I know. Tree. I know. And they're going to blow it up. And nobody's <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. Should we really do that to the tree? Why don't we just, why don't we just, you know, lower the shields and take off part of the crystal entity? Just part of it. Right, right. <laughs> or or, or hey, hey, there's, a, there's an asteroid. We could knock that out. Or we could just blow up a photon torpedo nearby. Yeah. <laughs> and just say, look, look at this. <laughs> and there's you plenty know? more where that came from. If I got it, I mean, it could have been anything. It could have been literally anything. Like, why don't you beam a Buick into <laughs> space and blow it up? Oh, I, I think it's it's more likely that they have a tree on board than a Buick. Well, well they could have created anything. I, don't, I, I think it was just literally something out of the yeah. uh, out of the replicator. We're way getting caught on a very minor point. We really are. Here's another minor point. Are yeah. we anywhere near Omicron SETI three? Because we're in the Omicron Theta system. I don't know if all the Omicrons go together. I, I don't know if they do or not. Okay. Yeah. Don't bring it up, though, because it'll just make me sad, and that'll lead to hate mail. (laughs) All right. All right. right. I'll try try not to. Um, All right. Data was discovered 26 years ago. Yes. And and apparently it went immediately into Starfleet, because when he's telling Lore how he can get a uniform like his, Mm -hmm. and and by the way, there is a shortcut, which Lore figures out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I could just disable you and take your uniform. And then. Yeah, and uh, the one the the, the route that uh, Data suggests though is like it's like four years in the academy, I think, and mm-hmm. then it's like a few years, it's like twelve years or something on different ships and various yeah, you know, yeah. postings. So I guess I guess that gives him like ten years to have just sort of bummed around and found himself before he <laughs> before he joined <laughs> right. Starfleet. But yeah, yeah, I mean he's uh yeah for he's only twenty six. Well, yeah. he's only been awake for twenty six years anyway, and yet uh, and yet he laid out. What sounds like 16 years in Starfleet at that point, including his time right. at the Academy. Right, right. So, yeah, you have to wonder when he, he got on, what was the, the Triton? The, no, no, the, uh, the Tripoli. Tripoli that yeah. the, the, the picked him up. Um, yeah, you, you have to wonder what that experience was like. He gets on board and is he so impressionable? They're like, hey, you could just do what we do 
uh, okay, well, I'll, I'll do that. Probably they showed him exactly how to run the ship and, you know, gave him access to all of the information about, you know, everything. Well, that's what you do. That's what you do. Second, yeah. second somebody comes on board, just just let him have it. Here. From yeah. from the dirty space hippies to, you know, to Khan <laughs> yeah. uh, Singh, right? Right. Not yes, to be confused yes. with Noonien Sung. No, different yes. people. Yeah. 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 I'm glad they chose that same name. That won't confuse me ever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they, yeah, just they, yeah, they come aboard. Yeah. If you can get on board a starship, and that's the thing, it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to get on board a space uh, starship, but once you mm. do, mm. yeah, pretty much the world's your oyster. It's like being given the key to a city. Right. <laughs> you got the run of the place. <laughs> pretty no much. Problem. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and, it, well, here's something. You know, speaking about Data's experience after he gets woken up, mm-hmm. um, I thought it was interesting that the memories that he has, or rather doesn't have, are weird because they're so incomplete. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that's the result of having a positronic brain, because a, a computer either remembers something or it doesn't. You, you, you're binary, on or off, one or zero. And to me, there's nothing really vague about that. But he, he sort of walks around going, oh, well, I kind of sort of remember this thing about the people and another thing, but I'm not really sure. Um, also, side note, no such thing as a positronic brain. That, that is a made up science sounding word for. Uh, from Asimov. Um, Positrons are real things, but they had just been discovered, and he wrote that term in a story. Can we go ahead and do the other PSA? Um, Sure. For people worried about the rise of the robots, you should be, because the three laws of robotics are also fiction. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Although you could program them into... Well, you could program them in, but I read something years ago, and don't ask me where, because I was just so amazed, but I read an article where it was like, there are a lot of people who aren't worried because they know that the three laws of robotics will protect us. Mm, (laughs) Yeah, right, right. If we all move into the pages of a book, you, Gumby, will be perfectly fine with the robots, because you can just walk into, you know, Robots and Empire or the Caves of Steel, or even there, though, it always seems like a robot was somehow finding a way to kill a person, or people were finding a way to use robots to kill a person, but I digress. Well, all it takes is the first guy to build a robot without the three laws of robotics. I know, right? You know? I never understood how that didn't happen exactly, but uh, that's that a whole guy. other thing for a whole other thing. Well, there was actually a series of books. I want to say Caliban could do that, but again, mm. we digress. Okay, uh, back to Data and Lore. Data, I thought, was having some very emotional reactions to Lore. Okay. And again, this goes back to something that we brought up earlier on the things that we see data doing Mm -hmm. that seem like emotional reactions. Okay, so perhaps you could say this is programming. Mm -hmm. So the the programming says, well, when this kind of thing happens where you are maybe um, entertained by something, amused by something, curious about something, your face will look like this and you will react like this. But this this seems different. I mean, lore is such a curveball. And then data data is literally mouth agape at one point. And I thought, wow, he's this is emotional. Well, is it, though? Well, is, is it well, really? I mean, that's the problem. I mean, we'll, we'll get into that kind of debate, I feel certain, many times with data. Oh, Which sure, is not sure. to say that we shouldn't get into it now, but I, this is sort of why I found myself wondering again whether data would have actually accepted Riker's gift in um, Hide and Q. 
He's mm-hmm. practicing. I, I, I made a joke about it in the prologue. You know, finding his home planet's nothing to sneeze at, but data will try. He's right. practicing right. sneezing because there's so much about humans that he doesn't understand and he wants to understand. So he's practicing sneezing in a mirror, mm-hmm. which is a bad place to sneeze, by the way. But, uh, right. <laughs> but I, I don't understand. I, I really do think that it, he wants to be human so much. So then the question does become right. Is he having an emotional reaction or is he assuming that he would have an emotional reaction to finding a brother? Yeah. We actually might want to revisit that, actually, when, when we get to the part about Picard and the whole man-machine thing. Well, let's talk about Wesley a little bit. because I'll, I'll let you do that. Okay. I, I Well... No, I, I, found, I, I found your notes on it interesting. Please, that's why. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Wesley Crusher has become like the shorthand for things that are wrong with Star Trek or wrong with science fiction. Like, oh, that's the Wesley Crusher moment, and we all hate Wesley. And there, there are T-shirts that say, shut up, Wesley, and everybody thinks that's really funny. And it is funny. And, mm-hmm. and the line, shut up, Wesley, is a funny line. But... In this episode, in this circumstance, I really found myself feeling much more sorry for this kid than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. And and I felt all over the place about him. I mean, at first, in that very first moment in Encounter at Farpoint, I thought the way they handled him was kind of charming. Yes. And then I was annoyed <laughs> soon after. Um and then kind of perplexed at why he's even there, because I felt like he didn't need him. And no wonder now that this kid has finally had an outburst. It seems like there should have been many more leading up to this point. And no one on this ship is really equipped to deal with this kid. It's like you you give him this promotion. You give him this this position on the bridge. Nobody seems to know what to do with him. Maybe this leads back to the whole thing. Kids should just not be on this ship. But here's the thing. Wesley is smart. He has shown that he is smart and he might be annoying, but that's another thing entirely. And if they couldn't stand to listen to him for that one moment where he actually is smarter than everybody else on the bridge, he should have gone into his room, written it down in an email and clicked reply all and just send that to everybody on the ship. Lore has taken over data. (laughs) Do not trust him. They owe him an apology. Wesley was doing his job and, you know, again, the shut up, funny, but totally out of line. And it made me think back to this thing. Remember, I I mentioned that script note where Gene was worried about people hating Wesley. Mm -hmm. And if this was an attempt to kind of rectify that, where you give him some knowledge, you give him a way to kind of speak up. And but then you enjoy it when he's told to shut up. I feel like this handling totally backfired. Here's the the one thing I will say, though. I mean, and this is weird, because I, I, I think I've pretty much been a defender of Wesley to this point, and, mm-hmm, and he's mm-hmm. still within his rights to sort of be annoyed that nobody's listening to him, but, you know, a, a more seasoned officer might have said, uh, Commander Riker, could I speak to you for a moment? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, he basically just, like, just blurts out, you know, or, or he doesn't even say permission to speak, you know, or whatever. I mean, he's insubordinate, and then he's insubordinate again. Yeah, yeah. And and at that point I would I would think that authority is going to dig in its heels and say, "Dude, you're I mean, you you you're wearing a rainbow sweater, okay? You see <laughs> you see there are no pips on there. You don't even have a communicator as far as I can see from here. You need to listen to everybody but yourself in this situation." Situation rather, excuse me. So, I mean, yeah. I think it maybe just handled a little bit differently. He might have actually been listened to. Of course, he was dealing with, you know, in the ship being taken over by somebody who who shouldn't be taking over the ship, but again, right. maybe he should have pulled somebody aside and said, "Can I can I just can I bug you for one second? 
<laughs> he kept trying to. He kept trying. Yeah, no, he it, didn't. No, he, he stood up and said, I'm not going with that thing. He, he, he stood up and said, don't yeah, yeah, let yeah, that yeah. go anywhere and mm. don't let it take me with it. And mm. then even mm. on their way back to the bridge, apparently, he's not talking to Riker about, no, seriously, dude, come on. Did you not notice? <laughs> well, it, it, this is one point that I thought that it was it was a bit out of hand, the, the way that they came down on him. But no, I get it. I get it. He needs to learn the chain of command. Yeah. Um, and he, he needs to learn how to speak up correctly. But, you know, look, if if he's the guy that you're going to have in a staff meeting talking about meeting the Harodans and uh, Captain Picard's exploits on the holodeck, mm-hmm. then maybe you should still listen to him when he talks about the evil robot twin taking over your ship. <laughs> You know, well, maybe if the Rodden's taught us anything, you say things in a certain way. <laughs> okay, all right, good, all right. good, good. Hey, um, uh, Lore fires the phaser at Beverly and misses, kind of. Uh, though I think he purposely missed from totally disintegrating her. Um, he is a super advanced android, after all. I would assume that his aim is good. Why didn't that blast just destroy a bulkhead? Well, he didn't miss. He hit her arm. He, well, he, he told her. He told her it was like a token, right, for her son's misdeeds. He wasn't trying to kill her; he was trying to hurt her, and he yeah. did. Her arms like on fire when she leaves. I would argue actually that he's a better shot than, well, certainly the most stormtroopers you'll come across, but a lot of other people, <laughs> you know, on Star Trek as well, because he winged her, literally winged her, because that's what he was trying to do. Yeah, but well. I say this is boy, this is really nerdy and <laughs> nitpicky, and we're having an argument about how much damage a phaser would do. But yeah. it, you know, here's the thing: you, you can sort of aim a phaser in the general direction of the thing you want to totally vaporize. Yeah, and you're going to totally vaporize. Yeah, it's a good it. thing it wasn't a Star Trek II phaser because then we would just watch her like go into flames. Yeah, I, I know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> with, just, with just enough time to scream. Screaming, it. Yeah. it would have been horrible. But this is just like, well, we're, we're just going to mess up your uniform. Unless, hey, maybe next episode she's got a robotic arm. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't watched that far ahead yet. Well, I think that would have, you know, we would have seen that she didn't have an arm if she was going to have to have a robotic arm. We do know she was hurt because Picard told her to go to sickbay after once she, once she found out that Wesley was okay. And then she gets to sick bay, and they're like, no, you really just need to go to the quartermaster. Going to have to lose the arm. Going to have to lose the arm. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Um, Data and Laura, conveniently, you can tell them apart because Data doesn't use contractions except for all the times that he has up until now. Right. Um, although, you know, to the actor's benefit, to, uh, uh, you know, Brent Spiner's uh, good job, the cadence is very different. Um, but... It's interesting that Lore can change it, and Data either can't or doesn't change it. So I wonder how much is this affectation? Well, we know that Data can change it, though, because remember when uh, when Crusher showed up in The Big Goodbye, when Dr. Crusher showed up in The Big Goodbye, he's like, mm-hmm. hey, Zan Ice, hey, he's being <laughs> right, grilled. Right. I mean, he's doing this whole, you know, he's doing this whole uh, other accent thing. Yeah. So it's just not natural for him. But Data has the memory of 411 other people and presumably the ability to speak in any language, accent, or dialect he would want. He could really just pick pick a voice, any voice, all the time. I guess so. Although yeah. this could, again, go to the programming of, you know, why Sung made him as opposed to keeping Lore as the only android. Now, I do have a question for you because the, this kind of confused me a little bit. Maybe you can uh, shed a little light on it. Okay. All right. Lore summoned or it didn't necessarily summon the crystal entity but he got to know the crystal entity yes and it destroyed all life down to the microbial level on that planet yes 
Okay. And Data, uh, he, he got picked up somewhere after that time. Right. Uh, but he was shut off and he was just laying on that slab. So who put the disassembled pieces of lore back in the closet? <laughs> because every human being is dead. Every right. microbe, everything is dead. Right. Data is laid out on a slab, deactivated. Right. So, well, I don't assume that the crystal entity was just hanging out behind the moon. I mean, how did Laura learn about the crystal entity would be a good question because, yeah, yeah, because I mean, we do know that Laura can make contact with the crystal entity from far away because the right. crystal entity wasn't just hanging around the Enterprise either. And Laura, like, sent out the subspace thing. I guess she just put out an all call for the you know most destructive force you know. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. that works exactly, but. Remember, there was time for the for the colonists theoretically to say, mm, "We're not really comfortable with Laura. Can you take him apart and build another one?" As opposed to, "Can you mm-hmm. just change his brain?" You know, <laughs> you know mm-hmm. why we needed mm-hmm. two two whole new androids as opposed to just two different brains to put in it. I don't know, but my assumption was that you know he made contact with the crystal entity and then he was disassembled and then uh, Data was reassembled and then they found out that the crystal entity was coming. And why they were afraid of the crystal entity, I don't know. See, that's how I can explain away that one. The one that I can't explain is, yeah. when did the kids have time to do the drawings of the crystal entity eating all of the life on the planet? They're, they draw really fast. Well, and then <laughs> their parents, who were apparently in the middle of running from the yeah. crystal entity, are like, oh, that's right. very nice. You know what? We're going to hang that right here. <laughs> right. Gonna, and then we're going to go back to running because this yeah. is, this is yeah. apparently scary. But I, But you really are good, you know? You should spend the next three or four minutes really working up your artistic ability because that's about all the time you have. My plan for the evil twin thing included me saying, you can't tell which one I am now. I mean, you cannot. See, that's Star Trek comedy cold. So Lore might have actually a few interesting points, a few interesting observations um, about Starfleet, about humanity. Um, first thing, he has this little dig at the whole idea of Starfleet. You mentioned before that uh, Data talks about how long it takes to earn the uniform and to, to get to his position. Mm-hmm. And Laura says, ah, you know, Starfleet is just a, is a ranking system designed to compensate for humans' limited abilities. And he might be kind of right, you know? How do you think? I mean, well, anything that we do where where we build these incredibly complex structures, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Starfleet is quasi-military, but you have these ranks and and you ascend the ranks or you could be knocked down a few ranks if you do something wrong. I mean, it it basically looks at us and says, okay, you know, individually, humans are probably not always 100% of the time going to make the best decisions. They can't always accomplish things on their own. So we build these complex uh, structures socially and uh, and in this case, like I said, this kind of quasi-military thing so that so that we can compensate. We, we can make ourselves better through this like ranking and, and codified uh, way of dealing with each other to be able to accomplish things. For a guy like Lore, well, Lore who can already take on a tremendously bigger uh, uh, knowledge base than any individual human being can. And he's also much stronger, physically much stronger than any human being. I, I could see where something like Starfleet would have no appeal for him. 
because and, and then it makes it more interesting that it would for data that data would want to have that kind of structure in mm-hmm. his life you know well data wants to be human data wants to learn what it means to be human and yeah. and so data would go through all of those steps i mean lore reminds me a bit of um hancock do you see hancock yeah, yeah. Or did you read the comic book or whatever? Yeah, I, did, yeah, I, re- I saw the movie. I didn't read the comic book. He, he's a superhero. With, well, he's got superpowers, but he just has no concern for the, you know, for the problems of humanity for the most part. He'll save mm-hmm. them, but it's almost begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lore, Lore, probably a fault of his programming, the way Sung put him together, Lore just, I mean, assumes that he already knows everything he needs to know. And it seems pretty obvious that he, you know, doesn't. What with his being willing to kill everybody. <laughs> or offer everybody <laughs> right, up right. for death. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I would say, oh, well, I mean, yes, I can definitely see why Starfleet would have no, would hold no interest for lore, mm-hmm. uh, because it does seem a bit constricting. I, I wouldn't say that that's a, that's a failing of Starfleet, though. I would say that that's a, you know, I mean, it's uh, not that everybody belongs in Starfleet, but certainly lore doesn't belong in Starfleet without going through all of the, um, all of the stuff that Data went through. Because mm-hmm. he, he obviously mm-hmm. he can't handle it. I mean, the, the the power immediately goes to his head. Going back to what you said about uh, data wants to be human, but then you, you have to question: Well, why why a human in Starfleet? Like we already know just from watching a few episodes of Next Gen that there are a lot of people in the twenty fourth century who uh, they just want to go start a colony somewhere. They want to farm. They want to mine. There's still yep. a lot of mining going on. Yes. So, but this is a very specific and very highly structured form of being a human. You know, uh, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say that just because you're in Starfleet, then it, it teaches you what it means to be human. It, it is another expression of human endeavor. Mm-hmm. So maybe with Data's extremely long lifespan, he can go do other things. Maybe he will go to that farming colony one day. Maybe he'll go live amongst the spores and see what it's like to be a human there. Who knows? Lore has uh, another interesting goal yeah. of assimilating... I, I like that we're using that word here. The the knowledge of all beings, everything. His his positronic brain and and data's because they're the same would allow for assimilating knowledge on a scale that humans cannot. They actually, and I was interested in the process here and and what the background is. Somehow transplant the memories of people into their positronic brains. Now, what is it that makes you think that Lore actually wants to do that? Well, he said that he did. I mean, he he tries to tempt Data with that because I, I got the impression from the episode that A, Lore already had more mm-hmm. than Data did and that this was part of his interest in these other beings like the Crystalline Entity that he could take on so much more. That Data is very limited with his 411 memories, human mm-hmm. memories or sets of human memories. But Lore can and will take on so much more and maybe it's just a a, a grab for power you know equating knowledge with power no i think it's just tempting data with what he thinks will tempt data i don't i don't think Mm. lore cares at all i think all lore Mm. cares about honestly lore should have had like a twirly mustache do you know what i mean (laughs) right well Lore's like snidely whiplash in this i don't get the feeling that i don't get the feeling that lore the problem that i have is i don't get the feeling that lore actually has a motivation except to be evil for the sake of being evil 
Yeah. And, and well, so, that, that is a big, big problem with the episode, yes. So when you say that, you know, well, Laura wants to assimilate all this information, I didn't get that sense at all. Laura is Satan. Laura is the bad guy. Laura is, 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 is a drug dealer. I mean, Laura is just telling Data whatever he thinks he can tell Data to maybe get Data on his side. Although there's no guarantee that even if he had gotten Data on his side, he would have kept him there because Laura's megalomaniacal. I mean, he's just, he, Laura, Laura is all about lore. I mean, like, period. And and apparently, uh, still smarting from whatever slate he got from the colonists, the ones who said, no, he was he was too human, so we have to turn him off. But again, all we have is Lore's word on that. Yeah. Because apparently the, the, the part the colonists did not give data is anything about Lore. <laughs> He's got <laughs> right. no memory of that whatsoever. Yeah. He is the villain in this episode. He is a worse villain in this episode than the Crystal Entity is. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you seem to be willing to take his word for what happened and his word for his motivations um, when when all I get off him is, you know, don't turn your back because he will stab you in it. Well, yeah, I mean, th- there's only so much that we get about the attributes of what makes Lore Lore and specifically what makes him different from Data. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you have to kind of take, obviously, all of that with a grain of salt, but you also have to say, okay, well, in this... 48, well, not even 48 minutes anymore, but in this limited span of a TV show, mm-hmm. um, certain of those facts will be, as far as the writers are concerned, true about these characters. So I, I would take that the way it's presented, that Laura has all this knowledge. And it, then you get into this kind of difficult question, though, about Laura's knowledge making him evil, or at least the the emotional impulses that he has gained, maybe from having these memories of multiple humans, multiple beings, whatever they may be, are those the things that made him evil? Are the things that made him more human the things that made him more evil? You know, would Laura be good if we just took away his human impulses, could you go in there and program him? So you take away the impulses for deceit and superiority and power, etc. Or do you neuter him? You know, is he just no longer that thing? Is he just a, a walking memory bank? Because data is something different. You know, data has the same abilities, the same brain. He just doesn't have the memories and he doesn't have that emotional element. However, it is that that emotional element got there. Hmm. All right. <laughs> I don't. I, to me, it just seems like a glitchy OS. Honestly, there's oh, okay. no there's no yeah, guarantee yeah. that he actually. He says he lived with the colonists, but we don't know that. There's no guarantee that he was ever actually assembled before. I mean, sure. it's quite possible sure. that Tsung that ran whatever test he ran and thought, "Wow, this thing would actually be kind of a monster." I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in the box. And, when, and it's a shame, really, that Jordy opened the box because half his value went away the second he did that. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I'm going to leave this in his box and I'm going to go build, you know, uh, maybe a better one, maybe a different one. It feels to me like to to take Lore's word on on any of it at this point. And I don't know if we'll I don't know if we'll find out more or if, or if more facts will be revealed at some point and if we'll learn other things about him or if he really just was blasted into space mm-hmm. and we'll never see him again. <laughs> and I think I actually do know that, but I don't remember yeah. what happened. So honestly, I don't remember if we learned more about what happened with this time with the colonists or not. But totally different episode had Data opened up that closet where Lore is being stored in the cloud of smoke. And in that split second, they realized what it was, pulled out his phaser and just vaporized it all and said, <laughs> sorry, I don't. It, there was something in there that was going to be terrible. So I saw a spider. 
Too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing I got it. I saved you guys so exactly. much. Exactly. Oh, wow. So you killed the one thing that survived on the planet? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Still, yeah. I yeah. think I made the right decision. Hey, I do actually have to, I have to ask a question about that. So, yeah. so, so lore, well, no, maybe there's a better way to ask it. What is it exactly that the crystal entity is eating? Well, they, they said it's the life it, force. Yes, it's like, it, yes. Which, and which apparently thing. data and lore would have. Because they're all, they're all then questioning, okay, so, okay, so I get that it killed everything that was alive on the planet. Why didn't it kill data and lore? And they're like, oh, well, because, you know, lore was already disassembled and data wasn't, you know, hadn't been turned on yet. Yeah. So the thinking is apparently that whatever it is that they carry around with them would have been affected by the crystal entity. And yet when they go into the, you know, the hallways down beneath and below and around and through and all that stuff, um, there's still some energy somewhere on the planet because they're able to basically flip the switch and turn it all back on. So yeah, yeah. life force that it's eating is not necessarily just energy. And yet they're thinking that whatever it was that it was eating would have been something that it would have taken from lore and data as well. Right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you wanted to try to parse this in any kind of reasonable scientific way, you could say, well, the, the crystalline entity particularly has a taste for biological life force. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a, a chemical life, chemical energy mm -hmm. is something that this thing eats. Um, but then there are only so many other kinds of energy left, electrical, um, weak nuclear and strong nuclear and you know magnetic so right. so this thing can only eat so much of maybe only particular kinds of energy and when you flip the switch to turn on a data or a lore well maybe some of those mechanics are are, are they just purely electrical i guess they are maybe there's we haven't been led to understand that there's any sort of biological, even it's a manufactured biological component to him, yeah. to them. Right. So, yeah. So it, it's hungry and it just goes around eating. All right. <laughs> Anything that moves, basically. But, but I would assume with a, with a particular penchant for anything biological, chemical, chemical right. energy. Uh, I'll, I'll go with that. And yet they were all wondering, and yet they all seem to think that had data been, you know, an all-seeing, all-dancing piece of technology when it got there, <laughs> right. that it would have eaten it. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I, yeah Which is interesting. That's a little weird. It seems like, you know, we've got a Frankenstein story here. Soon is trying to create life of a sort from data and lore. And the colonists revolted, so we are told, because mm -hmm. lore was too close. He, he maybe fit a little too closely in that uncanny valley. And Lore acted out violently to protect himself, going back to that Frankenstein metaphor. And, but I, I wonder if uh, Sung was on to the same thing as Roger Corby, our old friend who mm -hmm. we haven't talked about in a long time, creating an artificial brain that could serve as a vessel for the human mind. Um, Data and Lore both have memories of people, uh, but they lack the emotional content, or they, they, they lack sort of everything in context. The data at least just has pieces, but all of that kind of gets synthesized into a new being. So mm. I, I don't really know if I have much more to say about that other than just say it reminded me quite a bit of Roger Corby. And maybe this was a way to stave off the inevitable mortality. Mm, maybe, except they both have their own personalities. It didn't seem like he was mm. making vessels for people to upload their 
personalities. I mean, they're everything. It was just to, you know, fill it well, with, not a- to fill it with their memories, which could be as simple as, all right, everybody write a 5,000 word essay and then put it on a thumb drive. And then we're going to stick it in the back of the head of this thing. And then it's going to have your knowledge. Do you know what I mean? I mean, like he yeah, said, he yeah. doesn't have anybody's complete memories. He only has, you know, sort of some of their memories. We don't really get the sense of how they did that. In fact, data says that he feels like the one thing that he can say is that it seemed to happen quickly. Mm-hmm. So does that mean lucky? Well, normally it would take a half an hour to upload you entirely into this Android brain, but you got five minutes because there's a big giant snowflake coming to a, coming to get us. So, right. <laughs> so we got to hurry. So he's only going to have part of your things. It's lucky that he didn't get just like, you know, up to five years old from everybody. Yeah. Right. Right. Because I don't know yeah. how you selectively upload parts of your memories. Oh, I'll figure it out one day. Just you wait. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, but, you know, th- this could have been uh, a, a first few steps into a, a Corby like a Corby bot for Dr. Noonien Sung. And maybe maybe if we hear back from more of Dr. Sung, we'll, we'll see if he was on his way to do something like that. Can I ask a question? What is up with Sung? What is up with that? He, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. not to be, again, not to be all Seinfeld, but so here's the thing. Apparently, <laughs> he was kind of a loud mouth on Earth, right? He tells mm-hmm. everybody, I'm mm-hmm. going to make a positronic brain. You just watch. I'm going to make a positronic brain. And I don't know if he set a time limit on that or if he, like, you know, brought somebody something and he was like, here's a positronic brain. And they're like, that's not a positronic brain or what it was, because data actually says that Tsung ruined his reputation with promises both wild and unfulfilled. Yeah. And, and, of course, they, they are fulfilled. It's just he's traveled to another planet under a fake name and gone there and, you know, done that whole thing. But what, what the what the heck kind of place is Earth in the 24th century that you can be like, I'm going to try something that nobody has been able to do in science. And then he's not able to do it. And his only other option is, OK, I'm going to leave the planet. Yeah, yeah, we, we have no tolerance for eccentrics. Apparently, <laughs> apparently. Apparently not. And now, in fairness, nobody, well, except Data does say that he ruined his reputation. Because, we, I mean, we, we're not told that he was, you know, flown off of Earth by other people because he was such an embarrassment to the planet for having said he was going to do something that nobody had been able to do, followed up by not being able to do it. Yeah, it's it it struck me as kind of weird and harsh, unless that's just an element of the storytelling. But the the, the problem is the way we watch these, there's no such thing as a safe element of the storytelling. I mean, the right. fact the fact that he right. had to go to a completely different part of the galaxy, yeah, with his tail between his legs, hanging his head in shame, traveling under a pseudonym. I mean, <laughs> but, it, but, he, but he moved in with a bunch of scientists, and and yeah, here's yeah, the thing, you know, it, in in that realm of science, you should be uh, not only allowed but encouraged. To try and fail, not, <laughs> you know. Not the on thing Earth, is, Mister. No, apparently not. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really worrisome, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe kind the divide. Of. You know, we we think it's bad now. The divide between science adherents and and those who are not, you know, those who are science deniers. Maybe it's worse in the 24th century. All the scientists have to live half a galaxy away, and just when they discover something that works, send it back. Yeah. You know? now, now, maybe a good thing for for him to learn, and maybe he did. And don't don't tell anybody what you're working on. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing. Just you know, just shh, what are you working on? Uh, something. Uh, hopefully, it's going to work out. If it does, it'll be really cool. And if it doesn't, well, I'd rather not tell you because I don't want to have to live on a different planet. <laughs> I'm making department store mannequins. Exactly. <laughs> don't they look great? <laughs> yeah, they they are kind of awesome. Um, Picard said something which I thought that must have just spoken to you. 
in a in a deep deep way he takes a stand during this awkward crew meeting where they're talking about what to do with lore and how to treat data and talking about him as an it and um Picard basically says we will address data as a living being since we are just machines of a different sort, biochemical rather than mechanical. Yeah. And uh, love him for that. I bet. Absolutely loved him for that. It actually brought up for me again the feelings that he expressed with McNary uh, Mm. in the big goodbye. Mm. When he, when he, I, I, there were some people who said, uh, who wrote in after we did that episode who were like, yeah, he was just being Dixon Hill. You know, he was just mm. he was just playing he was just playing the part. But it felt to me like like we were actually seeing Jean Luc Picard feel bad for this this guy, this thing, this is intelligence or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that was inhabiting the uh, the holodeck for however much longer his program was gonna run. Yeah, I love the fact that Picard was like, Yeah, yeah, okay, he's a machine, but so are you and so am I. So are we are we good now? Can we go ahead and get on with the important stuff that we have to talk about? Or do we have to keep, you know, pussyfooting around this? Yeah. Well, and regarding that, I I would say that, you know, we make the assumption that Patrick Stewart is a very good actor who inhabits the character of Picard, but Picard is not a good actor. You know, Picard is the one who on the holodeck is having trouble with basic concepts. Mm -hmm. So when he does have an emotional scene like that with McNary, then I take it at face value for the way that character actually feels about that other character. Right. And, and I, the same way that I would take this as sincerity, he's not just making nice, he is sincere about the way that we address data. Data is a, uh, and, and you know, we're, we're going to get to that episode, but <laughs> data is a living member of the crew who will be treated like every other living member of the crew. So, and yet he does fall into that trap with data where he's like, so it, when he's talking about lore, it's mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. this, and how do you feel about it? And Data's like, eh, remember that speech you gave? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of a blind spot. They don't know lore. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that is strange. Although lore shows a lot more personality than Data right, right away. So, interesting that they wouldn't call him a him right away. Picard also says uh, that perhaps Data is... Um, a way to explore the very reason for the creation of androids. And it struck me that it's interesting that in Star Trek, there are almost no androids. You know, they're everywhere in Star Wars. They're everywhere in other science fiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have whole worlds like, um, you know, Blade Runner built around the idea of androids being an everyday part of our future lives. And when we meet them in Star Trek, and when we have met them in the past in Star Trek, they're always either the bad guy or the tools of the bad guy. And I would say that we need androids. We needed an android on the Enterprise during that fight in the Matara Nebula with Khan. That that would have saved you one Vulcan science officer right there. <laughs> you know, maybe not a whole android, but maybe just you know robotic arms in the in the room that, if you're in sure. it for more than a minute, could kill you. If, if you have to build a room that will kill you, yes. put a thing in there that prevents you from having to go into that room. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you on that, John. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. I think, honestly, the reason that we don't have as many androids in... And Star Wars handles it differently. Star Wars handles it by making all of the androids not very human, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them might be human-shaped. Most of them are not human-shaped. It's just, I mean, the place is lousy with robots, and they take all shapes and sizes. Very few of them are actually humanoid. 
Star Trek is so much about humanity. Star Trek is so much about humans or, well, I'll say humanity, although it can also apply to Vulcans and Klingons and, you know, any other race that we come across. Manufacturing a man is not going to be an easy thing. Manufacturing a man, I mean, we've got warp drive, we've got teleporters, but boy, oh boy, is it hard to get at the essence of what it is to be human. You know, mm-hmm. that's something that we can't recreate. And then, of course, I mean, you say that today was a sort of a Frankenstein story. I mean, they've all kind of been Frankenstein stories in a way, haven't they? Sure. Yeah, Every time yeah. we approach that idea of, oh, we've made something that is as smart as us. It's about as bad as the Butlerian Jihad, because it's been at least two episodes since I mentioned Dune. I mean, it's about as bad as that, right? Every time we try to make a human or try to make something that approaches humanity, oh, it ends up being uh, fairly disastrous, which does actually make Data's inclusion in Next Gen interesting. I mean, that, we, that, we, that we're willing to go ahead a little bit further. One of the things that's always been amazing about Star Trek, they didn't make a couple of movies and then just start, you know, rehashing what they had done. It was constantly changing, constantly evolving. Even when you get to Next Gen at that point, this thing that's always been verboten, is now is now something that we, okay, you know what? We took a little time and, and now we've moved far enough ahead that we're gonna start playing with this idea of approximating humanity. Um and that I, that's the only reason I can think of that you wouldn't have that many robots or that many androids rather in, in Star Trek. Although you're right, they could use at least a, another dozen robots on, I, on every I, starship. I would think that as soon as you find a thing like data, as soon as you beam him up one time, you go, look, I've got the pattern now. And (laughs) this guy works pretty well, and we could use a lot more of him. What's so tough about being human or approximating humanity? Is it hot enough for you? Can you believe the cost of fuel? Being human is easier than being a computer. If you don't believe me, you try running Photoshop, and checking email, and playing solitaire, and streaming adult content simultaneously. All right, Yarnick. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. All right, John. It's that time in the show where we uh, try to figure out what the messages, morals, and meanings of, the, of this episode were. And figure out where the, uh, whether the production uh, stands up, whether it stands the test of time, whether it holds up, whether, lo, these many years later, uh, it's still worth watching. Uh, Data Lord, John, I put it to you. Is this an episode that holds up? You know, we've had a little bit of difficulty that uh, the first season of Next Gen has this reputation <laughs> for being a little rough, a little rocky, okay? Mm-hmm. And... um then you get to certain episodes where you go, oh, wow, they, they've really turned it around. This is, this is a memorable, great moment for Next Gen. And, and we definitely hit that last week with um, The Big Goodbye. Mm-hmm. And even if we say that The Big Goodbye is kind of insignificant as far as Star Trek goes, it's a great character story. So it was a lot of fun. And we got to tinker around with the idea of the holodeck. And now we get this other kind of really memorable, uh, just really well-known and, and I would say pretty well-embraced episode by fans, uh, Data Lore. So I think I'm going to go out on an unpopular limb here, and I'll say that Data Lore is a not very good episode that is produced beautifully. Hmm. Um, This is where the script is probably not that good. I mean, things that just sort of made me roll my eyes like practicing sneezing and the whole idea of the evil twin and putting the Mickey in the drink. and It just 
wow, under any other other context would have been horrible. But suddenly it becomes that much more engaging and memorable because of the very good performances and because of the overall very high production values. It's well shot. It's well edited. The story kind of moves along. Um, But when you strip that away and you just try to get to the heart of the story, um, yeah, this would not hold up as a story. So maybe if there is any shred of this, it does hold up. It holds up because the performances are good because it's kind of a standout in this so far rough uh, first season. Although, you know, we, we've had some ripoffs here the first season, like The Naked Now, and I kept asking myself, this is an homage or a ripoff of The Enemy Within. Hmm. You know, D- Data has a facial tick, whereas Kirk had a facial scratch in The Enemy Within. So um, I'm pretty lukewarm on this. I, I would say that it holds up in a way because everybody likes Data. And everybody likes a good data story. Mm -hmm. But if you take this show on its own and you just take the story of the show, no, no, I don't feel like it's one of Star Trek's finer moments. I really don't. How about you? There are parts of it I like. Um, It is fun to see Brent Spiner play against Brent Spiner. Mm -hmm. It is fun to see... We've started to see over the past couple of episodes, and I know I'm not supposed to have watched any episodes past this one, but spoiler alert, I have. (laughs) Uh, We're starting to see some of the character uh, development stuff. Our our character, I can't remember what the stat was. It seems like I heard years ago the number of characters that Brent Spiner played on Star Trek was just just Hmm. stunningly huge. And we're starting to see that. I mean, and and certainly he was the same character when he was in The Big Goodbye, but, you know, he starts playing with the voices and things like that. Yeah. Um, seeing him play lore against himself is kind of interesting. Uh, watching that kind of thing grow will be kind of fun. Um, the fact that we get to examine what it means to be living. I mean, with Picard, you know, asking that question. I mean, that leads to, you know, if we had a couple of bourbons in front of us in a few hours, I would love to have that conversation just by itself a bit more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of bourbons each, by the way, because we're yeah, talking right, about yeah. hours here for crying out loud. Um. <laughs> All of that said, I, I, I have a problem with lore. I, I You seem to be willing to accept a lot of what he says, and that might make it a bit more interesting, but lore just struck me as evil for the sake of being evil. He struck me as just being a foil, and that kind of bothered me. There are a few inconsistencies, like, okay, so how did he find out about the crystal entity, and why does he want to kill all the colonists? Does he want to kill all the colonists because they voted him down? Well, probably that's not it, because he would have called the crystal entity before they voted him down, before they voted him to have him voted to have him broken into pieces and parts mm. or petitioned Sung to do that. Um, there's just, there's too much stuff that it's okay. It's an yeah. okay episode. Don't think too hard about it because if you do, there's just too much stuff that doesn't make sense. All of that said, I did, there was one interesting message that I picked up out of it. Really? Yeah. You actually mentioned the Matara Nebula earlier. I felt like there was a parallel thing going on here um, that we also got in Star Trek too about not trusting something just because it looks like something that you can trust. The Mm -hmm. Reliant was a ship of the fleet, so no need to worry, right, as it approaches and doesn't make contact with them, and, you know, they don't raise their shields, and, you know, Kirk ends up having his um, hindquarters handed to him in that fight, uh, largely. Lore looks exactly like Data. So, you know, for goodness sake, let's show him how the ship works. (laughs) Let's encourage (laughs) some sort of familial uh, camaraderie between Lore and Data. Let's not worry. 
it's not necessarily a great message like hey be paranoid <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but you know be careful might not be the worst thing in the world because they're just i mean they're just like oh yeah let's take him back to the ship yeah let's put him together honestly it had me wondering should data actually be aboard a starship? <laughs> because, I mean, Argyle stands right there next to data and goes, you know, there's so much about you that we just don't know or understand or get or anything. Yeah, after why 26 you, years. Why don't you go back to being fourth in command on the ship now? <laughs> but, you know, he did He did put in the time, as, uh, as he pointed out to Lore. There's yeah. stuff about this episode that's a lot of fun to play with. There's stuff about this episode to like. It's not a great episode. It's, but you know, if you like it, good on you. Because there's not a lot of reason to hate this episode either. I mean, this is not Code of Honor. You know, I mean, <laughs> right, this right. this is this is far from the worst that you will get from from Star Trek. Um, yeah. It's also far from the best. I'd say it's fine, um, especially if you're into data. If you're into data, then I mean, you can't miss this episode because it tells us far too much about you know Sung and and his origin and the fact that I mean. Theoretically, where this is the kind of show that will actually remember what happened last week or will remember what happened a few weeks ago, yeah, part of data might actually be messed up from this, yeah. you know, and yeah. if not completely messed up, like not totally like mind melting out of his ears messed up. But I mean, there may be part of him that's always going to be like, wow, so I'll put it this way. He is more likely to remember that he had a brother than Kirk. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. Um, well, that, that's, uh, that's a much more elegant and eloquent way of uh, stating a message. Uh, you know, the only one that I found is, is evil twins, always evil. <laughs> you just you can't escape the fact. Ken. That's true. Um, that's true. But uh, no, but I, I really did. I, yeah, I like what you said about that level of trust that, yeah, don't just trust the thing because it looks like the thing that you should trust. You can play the flip side of that. And I go back to Wesley and I feel kind of weird being so defensive of Wesley in this episode mm -hmm. because he did screw up. But everybody else acted so dumb around all of the clues about lore. They should have been much smarter about this, much more on top of it. Lore should have been much sneakier. <laughs> he made it very easy for us in the audience and the 15-year-old kid to figure out what was going on. <laughs> um, so at the same time, the, the adults and the crew here needed to not only trust the thing that looks like you can trust it, but also accept the new information that's coming in and put it to use. Um, do the work. Explore the thing that needs to be explored to make sure that you're not making a huge mistake um so i'll still go back and just say that the uh, the message that holds up is uh, evil twins can't trust them all right well i think both of those messages well i don't know about evil twins honestly although it's true it's very rare that the evil twin turns good isn't yeah yeah i can't even think of when it did never yeah okay because they're just evil <laughs> that's why they have that name for them they do. See, it's very easy to identify uh, when you call them an evil twin. Ken, before we say goodbye this week, uh, we do want to remind our audience to check out Roddenberry.com because they have cool stuff. They have cool Star Trek stuff. You talked about how much you enjoyed the game Red Shirts. I'm kind of a props guy myself. And uh, if you didn't know about the cool props, they have recently come out with the Batleth. Uh, please no running with the Batleth in the house, but it is an incredible one-to-one -one scale prop. Looks exactly like the one used in the show. And they also recently released another Legacy Series prop, the Tricorder, uh, which is super cool. I want one. Actually, I want two. They're that cool. So please check them out at Roddenberry.com. And do, of course, check us out next week 
when we will put Angel One in the mission log. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Sorry I lost it earlier, I just get a little touchy. Let's just agree to disagree. About being human being harder than being a computer. Because it isn't. and transmission.